thought leadership and the fintech revolution. Brought to you by the brilliant people at Chargebacks 911 and FI911. I am Scott David Pinsker, and I'll be your pilot while we take a trek down the fintech wormhole. For our maiden journey, we'll be joined today by two unusually forward-thinking gentlemen, Gary Cardone, not only the chief executive of Chargebacks 911, but the co-founder, ownership, and a painter too. Additionally, for our maiden journey, uh, we'll call it an Iron Maiden journey in honor of their country of origin, Tony Craddock, the Director General of EPA, the Emerging Payments Association. And for our Iron Maiden show, before we run to the hills, we need to tell you what kind of program we're going to be. After all, we're a totally new show with a totally new approach. And to do that, I'll begin by telling you what we're not. Often we can better define who we are with a negative. One, we're not going to be a long-form infomercial. Look, Chargebacks 911, Chargebacks 911 is a great company, and if you're an online merchant or online at all, and you want to make more money and, and get rid of fraud and theft and chargebacks so you can go back uh, to what you love to do and get rid of that headache, go give them a call and they'll take great care of you. And if you're a payment professional and you want to elevate your game and network and collaborate with phenomenal people, go join the EPA. But beyond that, we're not here to market to you. We're here to inform and entertain. Two, we won't be the kind of show where everyone will agree all the time. We want there to be heated, passionate debate. We want to watch the intellectual firepower of two men like Gary Cardone and Tony Craddock going back and forth. Now, we don't want to go too wrong in the too far in the wrong direction and turn into a a WWE Hulk Hogan fake eye gouging kind of thing, brother. But to me, hearing two brilliant men full of passion and opinionated and really willing to go out on a limb, when you hear men like that debate, yeah, you're entertained, but you learn a lot too. We're going to be the kind of show where when we're done the following day, when you take a meeting with a valued client or a colleague you're trying to wow, or having a make or break cup of coffee with ownership, we're gonna give you a really good topic to talk about. Food for thought till you're overfed. Think of our show as a FinTech thought experiment. We'll take a trend or an idea and play with it and contort it and break it down. And when we're done, you'll look at it differently. And then it'll all be up to you. All right, enough of me talking. Let me get to my question so I can shut up enjoy a, a Diet Coke and, and get giddy at all the bloodletting that'll be coming, hopefully. I wanna begin with a critical foundational payment question about who we are, where we're going and why. About a decade ago, Malcolm Gladwell intro the world to the outlier theory. In part, Gladwell predicted that if you wanna truly shatter the paradigm, if you wanna redefine the game and change the world, you gotta put in 10,000 hours. For example, uh, John, Paul, George, and Ringo did land in America out of the blue and get lucky. They, they hone their craft in Liverpool and any little club that would have them for hour after hour after hour. And then they became the Beatles. But more particularly, you can apply the outlier theory to technological development. Orville and Wilbur Wright didn't wake up one day and invent the airplane. They, they reconfigured their bike shop and dedicated 10,000 hours. And in 1903, they managed to fly. And then more people built on what they did, dedicated many more hours, and within one human lifetime, were literally walking on the moon. In fact, earlier in the month, we landed a rover in a Martian crater, and the entire world watched in wonder. Now, compare that to the payment world. I'm pretty, pretty sure we've been trading with money and making payments prior to 1903. In fact, we found metal coins dating back to 5,000 BC. The first written language was in 3200 BC. We've been working on the payment problem before we could even write about the payment problem. Each of you, Gary and Tony, know many, many brilliant payment professionals who've dedicated much more than 10,000 hours. Think of all that collective brain power. Way more people have worked in payments than in rocketry, right? Other than war. More people have probably worked longer and harder, both directly and indirectly, in payments than pretty much any other human profession. You'd think we'd be better at it than anything by now. Like, we have it all figured out, and we're great at it. 
Yet here we are in 2021 at a point in time where our children may one day hitch a ride to the Martian planet with our pal Elon, head on over to the Martian Holiday Inn, and their credit card won't work. Shouldn't we be a lot further along than we are? Like, do we need more time? Maybe another millennium or five? Are we too dumb to figure out a predictable, reliable, efficient, and fair payment methodology? Or gentlemen, do we have a different kind of problem altogether? Maybe there are a lot of hyper-intelligent, deeply capable people who are profiting from our problems. Maybe they put in their time too, and they're dedicating their know-how to perpetuating an unfair profit model, and they want a modicum of fraud, corruption, theft, and leakage. Therefore, maybe we have a payment problem that we can never really correct or cure, and we're trapped in a never-ending game of Tom and Jerry, the Joker and Batman, good and evil. Tony, what do you think about where we are, where we should be, and what the heck we can do about it? Or, in the immortal words of Axel Rose, where do we go? Where do we go now? Scott, thank you. What a great opening. Where on earth do we go now? Well, of course, you've got to go back a little bit before you go forward. And the first thing to remember is the movement of money, which is what payments is really all about, is fundamental to the way in which we relate as human beings. So you look at the fundamentals of a relationship, the thing that we really, really care for more than anything else in the world is how I give value to you and how you give value to me. And, and as we've learned to evolve as human beings, we've become able to trade with each other. We have found ways of exchanging that value in a way that's possible beyond just one-to-one. -one. And that's really where money and currencies came from. And what I, what I really completely agree with you about is that we ain't got it sorted yet. It's not the perfect scenario. The way in which we move money is not totally secure. The way in which we do it is not instant, is not, is not completely free, and it's not completely value adding. So there's still a long way to go. Of course, the reason it's been set up as it is, is because it is so important, it matters to people. So if I were to give you a wadge of dollar bills, you'd be quite happy. Sure. But I'll tell you what, Mrs. Craddock behind the scenes would be less happy. So it, it, it is worth something to you. So this is where we have to be very careful to manage the security of the system. Security of the system is absolutely paramount. And because we're all keen on these wonderfully complex systems to support the security, the, the movement, and the exchange of money between us in a way that's predictable and secure and safe, we have to incur some costs in doing that. And that's a fundamental issue here is, there is some cost attached to this because we need to be rewarded. We need to reward the retailers. We need to reward the, 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 the manufacturers. We need to reward those people involved with management and the movement of money. The question you're asking is a great one is, is the wadge that the industry is getting too high? And I would put it to you that is, yes, it is. There is too much friction in the way in which people are moving money. There is too much uh, time. There's not enough accountability and there's not enough access. So our industry has a long way still to go. Having said that, I believe, and I thought, I'm sure you'll agree as well, Gary, we've come quite a long way compared to where we used to be. Well, yeah, we've come a long way since the caveman, for sure. Um, and, and really appreciate uh, one's got the webinar. I think this is going to be a lot of fun, the podcast, whatever we call these nowadays. Um, I'm not sure what the question is. Um, you know, a couple of things that, that uh, Tony mentioned was about security and friction. And I, I've only been in the payments industry for the... Uh, or I guess uh, there's 8,760 hours in a year. I've never heard the 10,000 hour rule. I need to read that book. Uh, I do believe in it. I do believe that anything you do uh, for long periods of time, even if you're not good at it, if you don't think you're good at it, uh, if you do enough of something over and over and over, you'll get great at it. Um, and that will be the only way you'll get great at it. Um, but for 10 years, I've heard this issue as security, security, security. And I didn't 
grow my career in this industry, um, I grew my career in the energy business where security is very important because when power or natural gas doesn't show up like it didn't in Texas, people either pay too much or they go cold. And uh, I have yet to see a tremendous amount of security issues um, in the payments industry. I don't see people losing massive amounts of money, uh, people going bankrupt from credit defaults and NSF and I do see a lot of declines. I see a lot of friction. I see a lot of uh, people saying there's a lot of security issues, but really the proof is other than airlines going bust and large bankruptcy events, which is a very common problem for most industries when they're upside down, their hedges aren't set correctly. Uh, they don't have right insurance or they have dirty hedges as what's going on in Texas right now. Um, that's when they have credit problems um, or they have, uh, shall we say, lack of credibility and reporting of their annual reports, uh, the Enron incident or incidents, I should probably say that whole sector. Um, so, so security to me, I mean, Tony, what you built the case for in, in your eloquent, eloquent uh, way is that cryptocurrency is just the perfect solution, except for the momentum and volume um, Everything you, you, you're, you're a crypto guy, man. You, everything well, you just said was, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know what, there is, there is something about the evolution of cryptocurrencies. And I, I'll never forget the first time I encountered this was uh, 2014. And I went off to a conference in, in the Netherlands. Um, and there were 500, 500 people there, all, you know, blockchain, uh, 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 Bitcoin is the Bitcoin foundation there. Um, and there was a real sense of this being a social, a social movement to change the way in which we, um, we manage the, the financial value in our system. And, and it, it's got a lot to be going for it. However, and I'm going to call, call on you for this one, Gary, because I, I know we don't often hear of, of, of security problems, but this morning, as I came back from my uh, a few laps around Battersea Park in South London um, on the bike, um, my neighbor said to me, oh, I, I, I hear you know a bit, a bit about payments. I said, yeah. He said, um, I had a couple of Bitcoin um, and I bought them a couple of years ago and I had them in a wallet. And on Tuesday, they just disappeared. So he, so and I call that theft. So what's happened is he's been hacked. Somebody's come in, a couple of Bitcoin is worth what? $100,000 plus? Um, or so, and that's quite a serious now. You go to the police, they will ring, they will not do anything. So the police don't know how to handle this stuff. And then let me give you another statistic, it's an interesting one. In this country, we have something called suspicious activity reports or SARS. And as a bank, if there's a movement of money that looks suspicious, I am obliged to report it to the authorities. Absolutely obliged. So I might be a payments issuer, I might be an e-money association or, or an e-money company or a bank. And there's tens of millions of these each year. 99% of them, 90, that's one in 100 get investigated. And last year, that's in 2019, I can only give you the data for that, 55 were of these suspicious activity reports followed through with a prosecution. So of these tens of millions of occasions where the, where the suspicious activity, which might be defraudulent, might be money laundering, might be theft or fraud, only a tiny proportion are being caught. And I, you know, I just don't think we're doing a good enough job. I thought chargebacks is doing such a great job and playing an important role because you've got to help people to complete the transactions that are authentic and stop the ones that are not. But I think it's an endemic problem in our industry. I think we've got to do something about it. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it may be the way the paradigm was set up. And I think that's, that's the, what innovation is really bringing is that you, the comment you made was that um, the, the crypto guys, and I'm, I don't know a lot about blockchain or crypto. I have a few investments. I do hold a little bit of crypto. I'm not sure how to access it. I think 20% of all crypto is like, people don't really know how to get into it. Um, that's not unusual for a nascent industry though the, 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 the that people talk about crypto i mean uh the alcohol industry was built on um, on bootlegging and so most industries are built on the edges in fact i would say that all industries are built off into the rough 
And then as it becomes mainstream, it becomes more in the middle of the fairway. Everybody plays by a set of rules. It's always the entrepreneurs, what one, maybe at one point are called the criminals, uh, who then de you know, develop great ideas and then they become mainstream. John Kennedy, the entire Kennedy family was found on yep. the bootlegging. So um, I think the point you made about uh, the crypto world though, and social, that it's a social group. Money is a social interaction. Money and the transfer of goods and services and bartering is the way you and I communicate. Okay, you and I, the last time two years ago, I was in London when it was an open society. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I just yeah. had, I had to plug the political point there. When there <laughs> yeah. was an open society on this planet, you and I had a beer. In fact, that day there was a terrorist act, uh, uh, if you'll remember. And yes. uh, you and I had a couple of beers in a bar and you and I could not have done that had you and I not had some currency, some interest in each other. Okay, that's a currency. It's just not yep. a liquid, commoditized, fungible uh, a currency. There's a lot of people that don't want to have a beer with me because I do <laughs> funny, funny cartoons. Um, and, and then, but some people that do want to have a beer or a Coke with me or whatever, we, we then traded money with the bartender, Sterling, who took the risk to have rent cost of maids and, and, and uh, waiters and waitresses. And we had a good time and that created a social experience for us. Mm. So I think money is only about a social experience and social experiences with lots of friction create communication problems. Mm, that's true. And, and I appreciate that you may have had a ton of, you know, issues in the UK last year that went under investigated there's about uh, 72 uh, murders in Illinois this week, and most of them will go under investigated. <laughs> okay, there's a lot of stuff that goes under investigated that's probably more serious than some guy from the Middle East bringing in cocaine money and then, you know, moving it through an Indian restaurant, which you guys have a lot of Indian restaurants. In we do. Europe. We have more than our fair share. All day long. Three people yeah. all day long eat there. Um, these are not like, these are big red flags that could be investigated and they're not. It's just such a shame. I was going to come to Illinois for my summer holidays and I, I think I'm just going to cancel that right away. <laughs> See, that's the problem though. You don't want to cancel something because it's not working well. Um, but when you get into the friction and the security issues, thank you, Bobby. Um, for instance, can you really fathom to believe that there's close to half a trillion dollars between the United Kingdom. This is a good, really interesting stat. I think the number's around 400 billion. I'll round it up to 500, half a trillion dollars. It just sounds so sexy. Half a trillion dollars in declines on credit cards. Now, a decline should be about non-sufficient funds or uh, fraud, true criminal fraud. Mm -hmm. I can fathom that there would be half a trillion dollars in the teens percentages of declines on credit cards if it is truly nsf and if it's truly stolen credit cards i have never had my my credit card stolen ever in my life mm -hmm. um then we have a fundamentally much larger problem and everyone in the payments industry other than the fraud companies are grossly overvalued mm -hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. Because you can't have Bitcoin as a percentage, and I'm not promoting Bitcoin. That's not my point. And by the way, I think already 98% of you and Miss Craddock's transactions are already digital crypto transactions. Okay? They're just on platforms that are legacy platforms. You see very little of your money, okay? Most of it's in digits. And if you go, to, go to your Lloyd's bank down the, down the road, try and grab 50,000 notes. 50,000 yep. pounds of 50 pound beautiful pink notes with the queen's face on. Very challenging to do. Can't get them anymore. Well, a wild idea, crypto by a different name altogether. It, it kind of beckons the question though that for financial technology, are we lagging behind the technological development of other industries? And if we are, why? I, Gary, you, you and Monica Eden Cardone created Chargebacks 911 and you didn't do it because you have a perfect payment world. You, you did it to correct a problem. You, you had a problem. You got, you were a victim of the problem and you tried to figure out a way to, to make it better. 
And for the big picture approach, you know, after you hit like 35 or 40, you go to the doctor, you tell them that you have a pain and they tell you, well, you're old, your body's breaking down. We can help you manage the pain, but we can't really get rid of it. And I wonder if that might be the dynamic going on in the payment world. So, so I, can I just start with an answer to that one, Gary? I think I think one of the one of the reasons why we have built a, a, a system to manage payments, typically run by big banks, is because we're talking about things that people want to steal. So it has to be secure, and it has to be it's secured by regulations to ensure we trust each other. That's what regulations are for. I know that when I use my car in Illinois. I know that the money will be taken out of my bank down in downtown London. So I know that the, the system works. All of that has to be um, run by organizations that typically got very big. Now, Americans, you've done a great job. You've got 10,000 banks. Over here in this country, there's five or six banks dominate 80% uh, of the banking. Um, so um, we were in a situation where these very big companies set up in fortresses, essentially, I don't know whether anybody's seen the Bank of England. It is literally a fortress in the middle of London because um, uh, that's where they used to keep the gold. And banks are typically like that. But the banks now know they have to release, they have to uh, open up, they have to engage with the fintech early stage companies. And those are the, many of the ones who are members of our community. Uh, Gary's company is very active in our community because you're pushing the boundaries and you're working with banks and they want to work with fintechs and they're just learning how to they're having it's a mindset shift it's about doing business in a way that's new and different and and i'd love to get your views on this actually because i think the, the in our industry the days of buying and selling have gone i think the days of collaborating and partnering as a way of helping each other make money is the only way forward and so i keep on telling people don't just spend all your time being a salesman, I mean, I'm a salesman, my background is sales, but I have to put that hat off and I have to think, how are we gonna sit around the same side of the table together and collaborate to our mutual benefit and the benefit of the collective good? And if we can do that, then actually we'll be more successful and make more money than if we do it the old way. Um, so I think that not all industries work the way the payments industry works. Uh, I think there's some really very, very large industries that uh, work extremely well. And if you follow the, or differentiate the paradigm of how the payments industry works, which is extremely fragmented, you say yes. you only have four or five banks and that the US has 20, 10,000, I think there's 14,000 issuers in the United States. There's thousands of acquiring banks. Uh, there's uh, the Federal Reserve, which is kind of a bank, but you and I, along with the Bank of England, are not invited into those banks. Those are very different banks. Those are what I call guardian banks or uh, matriarchal banks uh, that set up. They're the prime alpha dog of this scenario. And I think what we're going through is because of the digitization of this planet in mass, you know, 2001, uh, computers really began to sing um, and the manufacturing speed of, of chips and the processing power. Really, we have a wave that is hitting this planet, at least in our recent memory, because I think this, people have been around humans or humanoids or some shape of humans have been around probably close to three quarters of a million years. And we've lost kind of some memory and some writing. Um, but, but the wave of change that is occurring is so staggering. Uh, I, I am uh, fortunate enough to be old enough to have gone through some of these transitional waves uh, either driven through uh, my first career, it was driven through regulatory change. This change that's occurring right now, regulators are grossly resisting it because most of the regulators are very confused. They don't understand what's happening. They're also, you know, <clears throat> been serving the large banks. These are massive, massive companies that have a, a really large position to lose. Mm. Uh, and, and, and 
you know, for, be it for me to say that maybe there's vested interest, but the reason Chargebacks 911, the reason Monica built this business was that no one actually helped us. They actually profited from the problem, but no one was actually trying to solve the problem. And, and, and if I was going to a doctor who served me and Monica the way the doctor served me in chargebacks, I'd be dead, okay? Mm. I would literally be dead. I actually wow. believe in going to doctors on a regular basis before there's a problem. I'm one of the few people on the planet that will literally spend money with doctors and go, hey, keep me, keep me healthy and well. Cool. Um, so, so my point is this change is occurring so radically that the very fabric, I think all the friction you talked about and the friction that I, those are symptoms and, and it's becoming really clear that this fragmentation of massive amounts of banks and an extremely complex food chain. And I use the word food chain specifically because everyone is eating from the table. Mm. The question is, who's actually bringing a quality product and service to the table. And it is in that food chain, that complex food chain, where all the rules are different for everyone. There is vested interest at every little particle inside that food chain. It's an extremely complex food chain from consumer to retailer, okay? And then the deposits of money and the credits and the withdrawal. It, it's 150 years old, the whole period. Mm. Okay. I mean, it's very clever. It's a very clever setup. Let's yeah, not. I mean, yeah, but look, Monopoly is clever game. Okay. Yeah. Um, but but but, I mean, there's a lot of clever things. But in a world where speed is everything, and, and, and where efficiency is everything, it is staggering to me that there would ever be a decline in a central depository marketplace yeah. on energy. There are no declines. There are only transactions. There's only good credit and bad credit, and the bad credit can't play in that game. Uh, or they pay more uh, for the credit because there's insurance companies that give those guys credit. Th this paradigm is falling apart. It's getting obliterated, not because guys like me, it's getting obliterated because it is an old suitcase that's trying to carry way too much weight to the airport and it's just ripping apart at the seams. Mm. And it's offering a massive opportunity to innovative thinkers who aren't carrying any of those bags whatsoever they're actually looking at it going my god this thing's falling apart uh there's too many amateurs in it there's too many people feeding at the trough and who is it charging joe consumer is being slaughtered okay with ghost tax ghost fees declines friction and the poor retailer is getting hammered i mean just mm -hmm. look what's happening to the retailer because the consumer want speed, efficiency, refunds, and ease. And, and consumers are also smart enough to find ways around the system as well, aren't they? I mean, I say smart enough. They're, they're um, often more qualified. The fraudsters are more qualified than the people who are protecting them from fraud. Uh, and, and we have to be aware that that's the case. And, and so, so there's... There's a real tension at the moment, I think, Gary, and I think, Scott, you might agree with this too. There's a tension between, on the one hand, we want to bring the new, exciting, progressive, innovative solutions, the new tech, the new approaches to doing things, uh, the new products and services to, to help to solve some of these problems. At the same time, we have to be aware that if we are not absolutely confident that these are rock solid, um, pre prevent fraud, uh, and, and essentially wrap up the the the, the transaction in a in a in a band bandage of or in a wrap of security, then we'll end up bringing new stuff in, and it'll just end up with everybody suffering because there'll be a massive fraud. And 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 look at I mean you remember the early days of Bitcoin? Do you remember something called um, Mount Gox? And there was something like thirty billion. Um, uh, bitcoins that were just just lost because somebody did something wrong in the tech. Um, when we're beyond that with cryptocurrencies, I, I think and hope. But maybe in, in some parts of payments, we're, st we're still we bring in new things and it, it's risky. So there's so there's my point is it's a tension between. But, but Tony, but Tony, that's not fair. Right? Everybody picks on Bitcoin and, and pulls these little these little stories. I mean, 2008 we had a colossal meltdown of every financial and bank on the planet. 
And we kind of yeah. forget that 12 years later, it's kind of like we're still talking about something that happened to Bitcoin, which was a very, very immature market. I mean, I know so many guys that went bankrupt in the energy business that were brilliant, okay? Mm. But they were in so deep over their schemes uh, in, a, in, a, in a marketplace they didn't understand with massive volatility and they got crushed like little, little worms. Um, and they didn't make them bad. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time and just got hit. Yeah. Well, uh, in Bitcoin, look, I have Bitcoin. I wouldn't know how to access it right now, okay? It's because it I took a punt a long time ago. It wasn't really relevant to me. Um, I'm sure I, it's on Coinbase. I'm sure I'll figure it out when it becomes important. Yes. Um, but, but the financial meltdown that we had eight years ago uh, in 2008 is so destabilizing because I have young kids. I look at this and go, my God, after 150 years, we're still playing hide the monkey, okay? We're still <laughs> playing, hey, uh, it's just too big to fail. There is nothing too big to fail except God. Like, I yeah. don't believe this, okay? That is not ca a capital market. A capital no, market yeah. is you and I can trust it to work. Um, but, but I think, I think are we not uh, bringing even more problems along amongst ourselves at the moment with some of these new derivative trading products, uh, which, uh, you know, the, change, the way in which we're, we're changing how we invest money, it's, it's fascinating. It's progressive, it's exciting, it's innovative. It's also pretty risky, isn't it, Gary? Look at the recent, the recent stories of, of uh, GameStop and everything that happened there. That was a, that was a market uh, a, a contortion as a result of social media's enthusiasm for a particular stock. And it, lots of people got burnt. And that's, that's, that's simply endorsing your point, really, that you know, 10, 12, 10, 11, 12, 13 years after the, the 2007-8 crash, we're still not in a position to be able to know what, how to manage some of these new products. Well, I, listen, I think, I think it's a good point. However, I think that we started this conversation off, we said money is very, very uh, akin to social, like it is a social yeah. concept. Yeah. Um, I think one of the great failures that this, that your country and my country, I'll just, speak to the two countries I really know the best. Our real basic problem is education, okay? Because when you slaughter and, and suggest, hey, these derivative products, do you own a house? Yes. Are you sure? Because I would bet you do not own that house. I bet you'd own a derivative of that house. You've been trading yeah. derivatives for a long time. Yeah, well, if I, if, I don't, if I don't own it, then I've been getting away living here for 20 years. That's a good deal. <laughs> well, it's been a good deal, okay? But mortgages are derivative. And, and, and so the GameStop, I think I get to my education point. The GameStop, we can pick out a lot of little anomalies. These are markets, okay? These are markets. And when people do what they do in mass, it drives markets. And mm. if people are highly educated, I wanted to short GameStop so badly and I was too busy to do it. And the guy's like, dude, really? I would have made an absolute fortune. Education though, there are hardly anyone listening to this webinar that could draw you and I a picture of how money is created and moves through the system. Hardly anyone. In fact, I would suggest that less than 1% of everyone listening, I hope there's a million people listening to this bloody thing. I will give you a hundred grand if there's yeah. 1% of the people for your next charity that can draw out how money in your country is made and how money in my country is made. There's no education. Even from the people running the bloody show, there's no education. I, I tell you, the, I mean, the, the thing that was quite reassuring, we did some work with the, um, the Financial Conduct Authority um, and, and th they were working with uh, essentially the, the equivalent of the Fed, the, uh, the Treasury here. And, and we came up with five or six things that they wanted to see out of the, the, the payments industry. And one of these five top priorities was they wanted to see more, what they called the professionalization of payments. They wanted to see more people understanding how it worked. That's just to reinforce your point. We have, a, we have a, some online training courses um, and uh, we, had, um, we just did some with Visa earlier in the year. 600 people signed up for a training course. There's a, 
People know that it's a problem, Gary, and I do agree with you. It's a complicated setup, though. It's yeah, not I'm simple. Talking, I'm talking about education when you're four years old, five years okay, old. Okay. I'm talking okay. about basic education on what is the compounding of money? How do you invest? What is a derivative versus an investment? What's yeah, an, yeah. What's a mortgage really? I know very few people that own their home. Gary, Gary, you're. Banks, I know a lot of banks that own homes, and a lot of Gary, people that own the obligation. Excuse me, Scott. They own the obligation to pay a bill, but very few people own their own home. Yeah. Yet yeah. most people believe they own one. Sorry if that was a setup on you, but it's normal. No, it's, no, it's fine. Sorry, Scott. No, not a problem. I'm, I'm enjoying hearing y'all talk. Uh, but my question, though, Gary, you're, you're really hammering away at, at education, economic education. And I'm wondering, how do you feel the world would be different if more people, particularly young people, were, were economically literate? Uh, well, there wouldn't be people taking out $200,000 uh, debt to go to a school that's not even going to teach them what money's about, uh, to go make a $50,000 a year job. Um, they'd understand percentages. They'd understand compounding. I think they would be, look, I see people. Um, in fact, I interviewed a kid yesterday. He's 30 years old. He wants to be run his own business at 35. And I asked him why he's like, cause I want to be in control. I want to be in charge. Mm. Cool. Well, you're in charge right now and you're looking for a job. And so just think these fundamental things about, like there's very little value anymore put on what everyone has to make $15 an hour. Really? I would pay someone $1,500 an hour to work for certain people. Like my investment banker, I would pay, and I probably am paying him. <laughs> uh, I would pay Steve just to hang out with him for, for 10 days and be, be his apprentice. Okay. Um, to, to, to learn from him. And, and there's no education put on that. that there, there's no emphasis on even teaching people how to make money. I, I mean, I taught okay, my so, kids. So, so sorry, Gary, to jump, jump in. But I mean, to, to a fundamental extent, I agree with you. So, but it's not just about how payments or how money works. It's a philosophical issue around the approach we make to money and the approach we make to making money. And this is whether you're an owner of the capital or whether you're owned by the capital. And most people are owned by the capital. You know, I've, I've, I, don't, I hope that none of my team are listening to this, but honestly, they have no idea that the value of what they provide as human beings to the company that we run, there's about 20, 25 of us or so, and a small company, but you know, every individual in there they are absolutely uniquely valuable in their own way. Um, uh, they, they, you know, people, people don't know that worth and they don't know how to negotiate that worth either. And it always surprises me. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that's about education. Um, yeah. But, yeah. you know, because we're getting really philosophical, but I, I think that if we look at, um, you know, what I'm excited about uh, is that the opportunities in the payment industry, and we can sit here and be critical of it. We are where we are. And, and I mean, I see a couple of questions here about declines and people arguing about what, why declines really happen. And look, the truth is we're having massive amounts of declines. We have a lot of friction. We have fraudulent refunds. We have a lot of people feeding from the trough here that add no value. And I, I'm telling you, I, I'm an older guy here. I have nothing to win from this. It is all going to change. I don't care if you're running the show or not running the show. I don't care if your name starts with a V, an M, an A, a, a B. A, 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 if you've been around 420 years as a bank in England, this game is changing so radically. There is no stopping it. And, and the legacy guy has more to lose and the entrepreneur has more to gain. And, and Tony, you know, your point, you're like, hey, some of these new ideas, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna create problems. There's already so many problems, it's ridiculous. And we're gonna learn from those problems. And out of a few of those problems, there's gonna be some awesome solutions. And you, I can list a whole dozens of great companies being formed right now today that are helping push this 
tidal wave of change. Um, and that's got to be good because transparency is the one thing that grossly is lacking in the legacy construct. In the legacy construct, no transparency. In the future construct, massive transparency and removing tons of middlemen. But, but, but I, I, I think that's going to happen. That's got to happen. The, the challenge is, though, that when you open the door or the window and you provide the transparency, when, when people look in, they either don't understand or often worse, they misunderstand. So this is where you get people criticizing the chief executive salary. He doesn't, people don't understand that the, what this guy's done is he's staked his house, he's staked his life, he's staked his reputation, and he's working 100 hours a week. You know, that's the sort of thing that's misunderstanding. So, so transparency and is, is, needs to go alongside education. You must have them both together. Yeah, I agree. I think technology gets us there. Do you think it'll be technological development that'll get us there? Or do you think we might be at a point where we need new government regulations that, that we can have more growth through a regulatory reform than through, through the innovation of a, of a company like FI911 or Chargebacks 911? Well, if, Tony, if I may, okay, I, and yep. with all due respect to the regulators out there, in fact, I know a guy that's listening right now that worked with me, his name's Stephen, I won't tell you anymore. He's working at a major bank today in the UK. He got to know me in the United Kingdom when I was doing work with the energy minister there, uh, Dr. M, I'll just leave it at that. She was awesome. Um, and they grossly underestimated my understanding of markets. I think Stephen would agree with that. They kind of thought I was an odd, oddball. And everyone said exactly what Tony just said. Hey, you know, worry, worry. Hey, some of these companies might get hurt. Uh, some of these companies are going to be obliterated. Okay, obliterated. The nuclear power industry in the United Kingdom went bankrupt. And I would dare say that one or two, three people created that bankruptcy. Uh, they lit the fuse. The people that created the bankruptcy were all the ignorant players, the legacy players that believed it could never change. Mm. And, 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 you know, that bankruptcy, not one person lost a unit of energy. The company just went bankrupt. Okay, the power step kept flowing just fine. Okay, then the Germans came in and bought it for a song. So if you can disrupt the nuclear power industry in the United Kingdom, you can disrupt a payment facilitator for sure. Okay, because these are just pieces of digits moving. It's an accounting process, guys. Payments is an accounting process with a tremendous amount of friction on a ledger. Yeah. Mind-boggling that you have this yeah. much friction and it's literally an accounting process because Tony, you've been doing this, what, three times as long as I have? <laughs> have you ever seen a payment? Never seen a payment, mate. No, never, never seen, seen one. a payment, okay? No, it, the, the, numbers, the numbers change on my phone. You know, I look at the numbers in my bank account, the something goes in, something goes out, it's just written down, I never see it. That's not a payment, that's just a bit of words on a page. Bingo. Yeah, not even but, a page. But but it's wonderful that it works. It's wonderful. What it's really wonderful that it works, and it's working better this year. So, I'm, we're in one of the strangest strangest of industries because payments technology, paytech, fintech, also has really benefited from the pandemic. And I know we've had a lot of casualties. I know there's a lot of grief and sadness out there, and I'm I'm sorry for that. But you know what? It's really moved the dial in terms of encouraging people to adopt new ways of using technology. And to me, that's very cool. Very, very cool. You know, it's, it's very interesting you say that. I did not think this webinar was going to go this way at all. <laughs> <laughs> weird one. Uh, but it's so weird that you say that because every industry I've been involved in, and, and I've just had this really blessed life of being in the right place. Monica just get, gave me such a gift of coming up with this idea that I thought was just dumb and dumb. And then I finally got it. I'm like, wow, this is a huge problem. But yeah. every time I've gotten into one of these bloody industries, something like COVID happens. And COVID is getting ready to push this tidal wave much, much faster. And I think you're gonna see the friction explode, okay? Because there is no going back to where we came from. I, I asked a guy yesterday in San Francisco, I said, because people have disagreed with me that card, present transactions 
I said this eight years ago, would cease to exist sometime in the near future. And he's like, Gary, that's a bit over the top. I went, when was the last time you enjoyed going to the grocery store? And the guy was like, uh, as soon as I want to get away from my wife, I said, no, you don't go to the grocery store to get away from your wife. You go to the bar, okay? You do not go to the grocery store. The grocery store is a horrible experience. Even Whole Foods now is a horrible experience for most everyone, male well, or female. Don't tell me that. That used to be my favorite store. That was uh, once Whole Foods I used to go to in, uh, in Rhode Island. And my word, it was my favorite shop. Yeah, they're, they're owned by a big bank now, man. So, so oh. right? So, I mean, look, it's a bank. So, uh, anyway, my point is that, that COVID is a structural change to the entire market. And it's been a godsend for chargebacks 911 because chargebacks are just insane because the system isn't set up, wasn't set up for card absent, but the world is set up for card absent, okay? 20 year old kids have no interest in talking to another human being over a point of sale piece of equipment that weighs 40 pounds. I know that's true. That's so true. this is a structural change and it's gonna speed up and it's really exciting. So unfortunately, and fortunately, we're going to have to really open our arms to the innovators because the innovators don't come with this mental baggage of how it needs to work or how it should work to protect the PL. But what is extraordinary, though, Gary, is that you would think that um, the, the increased amount of fear and aversion to risk and the potential for danger and damage and threat that results from a global pandemic should have resulted in less activity, less innovation, less investment. But do you know, we have seen a, we've seen a dip in the amount of investment money coming in for sure, but it's back on. I'll tell you what, very interesting. Last three or four weeks, conversations out there are definitely changing. More positive, more upbeat, more open. But because I'm not having to travel, sadly, to Florida to see you, I can actually, I don't know, I can actually have a call with you today um, or we can have an email exchange today and I can have a call with you tomorrow. Now, if I want to see the chair of our advisory board, uh, Marion King, she's a, a director of payments at NatWest, uh, responsible for over 20% of the UK's daily payments, a big company. Um, I can get a meeting with her next week. Now, in the past, it would have taken six weeks. And right. that's, so we do six times as many meetings, six times as much innovation, six times as much uh, new product development. That's an incredible environment. So I think COVID has absolutely supported rather than slowed down the evolution of fintech. Yeah, totally agree. You know, Tony, you mentioned fear and, and I wanna to go to that because uh, you and Gary had a really great dialogue. I think about 90 days ago, you all recorded an interview, it's up on YouTube. And by the way, the show that you're, you're watching now, Shout out to everyone tuning in live. We love you. We're glad you're here. Uh, we're going to be uploaded to YouTube on the Chargebacks 911 channel. Uh, we'll probably have a more dedicated home down the road. Hopefully we can grow it out and you'll find what we're doing highly rewarding. Uh, but uh, that's kind of like a snapshot for the future. For right now, going back to the word fear, when, when you and, and Gary talked, uh, Gary, you said that you were motivated by, and I quote, fear, guilt, and insecurity. And like truthfully, I, I had kind of a weird reaction to that, where on one hand, I found like great nobility in, in taking a negative and building from it. And I want my children to, to have that ability too. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm a daddy and I got a 14 year old and a 12 year old and I want to shield them from pain. And I don't want them to be, I'm reluctant to, to, to join a worldview where fear, guilt, painful emotions are what will fuel you to be great. Um, maybe, maybe I'm being really naive and, and I'm showing it to everyone right now, but I don't know, it's a daddy for your children. Do you, how do you feel about that? Who's going, who's going first? Go ahead, Tony. So um, fear is healthy. Fear is, is something that allows you to identify risk and often what comes with risk, which is opportunity. And unless you understand that, then you'll always be running and running away rather than running towards. So it's a fundamental, you know, I, I look at the hundreds and thousands of people who in the last 12 months have had the courage and the boldness to start their own business because their previous lives have been folded. They didn't sit around waiting for what we call furlough. They didn't sit around um, taking handouts. They said, look, 
I'm just going to get out there and I'm going to start something because the world's changing. And when there's change, sure, there's fear, but for as much, for, you put fear on one side and there's opportunity on the other side of the, of the, of the, of the seesaw. So you've got to have the two, Scott. You've got to embrace the fear. You've got to use it to drive the change and drive the innovation, I believe. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think, um, Scott, I hear your question. Um, and, and I think if you interview, and, and hopefully this podcast will interview a lot of innovators and, and entrepreneurs. And look, I, I don't know how many people are watching this or will watch this, but I know a lot of my buddies that are, you know, senior VPs, presidents of banks, running fraud divisions at monster, monster banks. And uh, look, there's two types of fear, right? There's the fear of, I mean, what, COVID, what, what Tony explained was someone who was basically, the bridge was taken away from them. They didn't have a job. And instead of becoming a parasite on the system, they went out to get a job. And they didn't really care if they were washing a window or doing whatever was necessary. And I actually believe in that. I would rather wash someone's window than take a subsidy from the, any government on this planet, okay? That's the first lesson to my kids. Go to work, don't expect the government or anybody else to, to, to feed you. Um, they're already broke, okay? And, and, and so like, I'm pretty sure they can't do it. Um, so if the, my kids have an education and they understand how to do general math, they'll figure out what they need to charge to clean somebody's window. And if they have good ethics and good discipline, then they'll be able to clean a window better than other people. Um, what I meant to say about around fear was your, the question that Tony said, hey, where does your motivation come from? And when I look around at people, um, I have always been a little scared. Like I'm scared to do this, okay? I'm terrified to do this. Now, why did I choose to come down here today? Because I'm at a point with my painting that I need to go public. I don't really know if anybody likes this or not. This is my way of saying, you know what? I am going to become an artist and I'm actually saying it to the world. I will have less, I, I'm like a gay guy coming out of the closet. Now, I've never been gay, I don't really get it. I don't understand that deal. But now I understand coming out of the closet, right? And I'm trying yeah. to come out of the closet because for me, every time I have confronted what I, like if I have a goal in life and then I start telling people, this is what I am gonna create. I've had people in the UK that looked at me and said, you're absolutely mad. In fact, that guy's probably heard those conversations that I talked about <laughs> earlier. This guy's completely crazy, but I become so convinced in this that by promoting it, even though it's terrifying for me, I mean, three days ago, I had somebody in my company say, hey, you can't keep posting stuff like this online on LinkedIn because you're going to offend some consultants. I'm like, dude, I'm not trying to offend anyone. Okay? I'm trying to make people laugh. Okay. I, I, it's hilarious how many awesome people I've met. But the, the good news is, the good news is, Gary, of, of, for the one person who's a little upset, you'll get 95 people who you'll give a good laugh to. And I absolutely commend your boldness for coming out with your art. I think it's great. It's on the, it's on the edge and it's, it's wonderful expression of yourself. So good for you, mate. To me, this is, this is what I'm talking about is the fear is that when I feel that fear, that's, this is all I was saying. I think there's a lot of people that are stuck in careers that they didn't move through the fear. And so mm. my child needs to learn, dude, my kid is gonna get scared if they're pushing the envelope. They better get scared if you're pushing the envelope in anything you do. And you just need to move through it. It literally feels like a barrier about this big for me. I always know the feeling. I've not ever heard anybody describe it like this, but I think other people, there's literally, I feel a mass that I just need to move through um, and then the, the older I get, now I'm starting to communicate it so that other people become comfortable with communicating in corporations. Hey, you know what? I have that too. Mm. And, and uh, that's going to make this society a lot better place instead of us all walking around like I'm some rich guy on private jets. Who cares? Who cares? Okay. No one cares. What, what's going to care is if we can help each other elevate. And that's what this payment revolution is about. Uh, Gary, do you think that, uh, that the appeal of, of earning so, so much money that you've got more than you ever need is, is becoming 
yesterday's fashion? Because you remember the days of it was all about okay. stakeholder value, about making money and getting rich and, and things. Do you think those days are to some extent getting, getting past? I, th I think actually it's getting worse. Um, it's the Uber money event. And I think you're going to find a lot of people grossly, grossly unhappy in their lives. Um, yeah, I know, because it doesn't make you happy. This is the point. I mean, we've this. So I, 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 anyway, so I, I would say, and I run a community, and I run a community of some brilliant, brilliant people. Um, I have more conversations with them about doing things that are for the greater good, for society, um, for the improvement of, of you know, improve, getting people into the financial system. A riding tide, tide lifts all ships is the phrase. Um, and if we can help everybody to be able to get better, then we'll all get better. And and as you know, as you say, money doesn't make you happy, not at that level. But you get another well, five million. What difference does it make? Well, I, I will say that I've you know I've been miserable with a lot of money, and I've been miserable with broke. And I like <laughs> miserable and rich better than <laughs> miserable and broke. Okay, uh, but you know what? It's still miserable. Now, on your point on uh, people doing good uh, in the world. I would rather do, Monica and I have this conversation on a fairly regular basis. And uh, my, my position is I would rather do good, a lot of good at one time than little drafts of good over periods of time. Like what you and I did uh, last year. Like yeah. I've gone to some of these galas and I'm embarrassed by the payments industry. I'm just going to say this and be really obvious to everyone. I'm embarrassed when I sit in a room with 2000 bank executives all making 150 grand a year and they raise $20,000. I'm like, wow, seriously? Really? And you know what I'm talking about, Tony, okay? Yeah. One yeah. after another after another is like, seriously? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's like, we're raising money for cancer or for, you know, I mean, some really good causes. Um, Anyway. But with your, but, but with, you, with your help at the Emerging Payments Awards in September, in, in October, within a day we'd raised twenty thousand dollars, and and that was just through a handful of people who thought this was a good idea. And with your leadership, by the way, and your confrontation and your challenge to me to get me to do something I've never done in my whole life, uh, and um, awesome, but, awesome. but and you didn't lose any respect over it. Well, no, that's true. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I beat it next year. But anyway, but the the, uh, the, the 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 thing that was interesting is I didn't ask many people to stamp stump up for thousand uh, um, dollars. I asked uh, probably about fifteen, and they didn't all say yes. They should have all just said yes. Even well, the one there's one particular one who I know is just rolling in it didn't come up with it. So why don't people, why aren't people open with their money like this? Why aren't they doing it? I don't know, don't understand it. Yeah, well, it's just, it's probably education. Comes back to education, comes back to the movement that. of money, comes back to money being a social thing. Man, it sounds like we're starting to have a, a church webinar, not, not, not <laughs> yeah. all and dying it, together. And it comes back to fear, of course, all the love of it. <laughs> fear, all the negative emotions, but but from a from a just to kind of take a little bit of a step backwards, Gary, you mentioned that you're you're a big guy. You you want to make a big move. That you're not really into the incremental game. That you know there are people who who their style for leadership is they want to have an incremental game within a profit model that other people have built. Uh, then you have Gary. I, I mentioned right at the top that you're a painter. You went back to the painting, and I want to hit on that before we shut down. We're getting near the hour mark. Uh, want to you know we want to wrap up, but before we get to that, Gary. You, you paint literally, but you paint metaphorically too. Um, you've told me that when you're, your vision, when you're an entrepreneur, you like to have a blank sheet of paper and then you have an eye to create something that no one thought of before. And you might be three quarters of the way done and you'll bring in people to fill in what you have left, but you have that, that creative impulse to, 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 to make a new entity, a new creation altogether. When, when people like you, who have that gift to, to create, how do we keep you engaged after you've done the initial creation? Well, I don't think that you're gonna keep anyone engaged in anything. I think, uh, like, I don't think you, I don't think you can trap animal spirits. Um, 
and, and also don't think that like you can make someone um, be really um, naturally good at what at what I do, like like the blank canvas concept. And I don't think there's a A and a B or a hey, I'm really good at that, so it makes me special. Dude, it's just what I do. It's it's in my makeup, right? My DNA. And I recognized it when I was really young. I, I, I realized, hey, I am not set up to play a game where now it's just like robotic. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with robotic. Look what Amazon has done with robotic, okay? I mean, it's crazy. Um, there are more people in the world that do, that, that are geniuses at incremental phases and in growth that are far more important than anything I've ever done. I mean, not monsterly, like, but it's, I get bored. So, so after five, six, eight years, I want to move on to like something a bit more artistic and risky. Okay. Scary. A little, I like a little bit. I like the edgy stuff. Okay. It, it makes me feel alive. Okay. I mean, I love serious, serious rock and roll and guitars that are like freaking out and going crazy and hard drums. And then a, some cello guy, I dig that stuff. Piano. Yeah. Okay. It's nice. Um, but there are people that do incremental stuff like that, that's brilliant. And I think there's people that do incremental stuff for 15, 20 years and they should transition, but they get stuck. Maybe and they're limited they, by fear. They, they, they create their own. You said, hey, how do we keep you engaged? Dude, just let me do what I do. Let me just chase my dream, chase my heart. Um, and, and sometimes I need to be corralled in a little bit. But like trying to corral somebody like me in too much is not really healthy for me. Uh, and it's probably not healthy for the people around me. Uh, and Tony's met like a lot more of these people than I have, both in the increment. Like Monica, Monica's a brilliant structural, hey, let's grow an idea. Like she's yeah. really great at that. Um, yeah. and, and I don't step on her feet on that because I'm, I'm not good at it. I, I guess I could be, but I don't want to be, right? Mm -hmm. So, Tony? Yeah, to me, what you're talking about is just self-knowledge. And again, let's be philosophical. You know, when you when you're out there and you're 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 beating down doors or you're trying to make your way, uh, just be cognizant of your strengths and your weaknesses, and and stick at the things that you're brilliant at doing. What are your unique abilities? And find a way of doing those day in day out. And you know what? The world will work. Um, it's, it's struggling. You know, I've, I've six months ago we took over. I took on a chief executive to run the company for me. I've never. I haven't had a better six months. Honestly, I've just been in my zone, doing my industry leadership stuff, uh, you know, some lobbying, some thought leadership, some commenting and, and having some fun. And I, it's been wonderful. And, and you know, I, I, it's not that I shouldn't have been doing it. When I did it, I had to do it. But now that's somebody who can brilliant at doing a chief executive's job and it's not me. So you, you know, have I'm, so, I'm so glad, excuse me, Scott, I know that we're running up on time, but I, I'm so glad you said that because uh, for the innovators, for the guys that, in fact, for the guys that are sitting at, Lloyd's Bank or uh, TA or Visa and, and me and, and other people. I, uh, but in particular, some of these new startups that are worth 300, a billion dollars, $3 billion. Some of the people that start the company should not be running these companies. Mm. And, and, and like, I am not a guy that should be the CEO forever and ever and ever of a company. Depending on what you think you mean by CEO, which I think that is grossly, grossly misunderstood. Uh, yeah. In fact, all titles today are pretty irrelevant, in my opinion. Uh, they don't mean cripply, crappily. I mean, it's just, who, mm. what does it mean? Uh, yeah, chief absolutely. education officer would be the best definition to me of a CEO. But yes. I don't think most of the companies, Adam Newman, of WeWorks for sure should not have been running uh, WeWorks. Yeah. Okay. It had gotten so big, and and and, and I mean he's he's an anomaly on on the conversation. I think he's done a lot of damage to the innovators and the fintech uh, revolution and the, the whole entrepreneurial of the 21st century. But uh, unfortunately, and I think there's more good people out there than there are the Adam Newmans of the world. But. Mm -hmm. I would suggest many guys running companies and creating companies relook at their position at that company. 
And do not let your ego uh, make you, for the family of that company, don't let your ego say, I have to be the parent, okay, of this company because like, like what I do, there's a time for me to hand it off to somebody and say, hey, you can run this better than I can. You have a better mindset. You know how to set structures up. Yeah. Uh, and I can go off into the weeds and go look for new projects and new business yeah. development. Yeah. Absolutely. Brilliant. Brilliant. Too many people get stuck in this thing. You know, but I have to be that guy. Hmm. Gary and Tony, anything more you want to share before we wrap up? No, I just want to say thanks for being open to this sort of conversation. I think it's really important and I feel entirely honored and privileged to have had a great intro from you, Scott, some very lovely facilitation. And Gary, my friend, what a star. Thank you for being so open. Uh, this is how we should be. Great to see you guys. Thank you, Scott. Tony, great to see you as always, buddy. Love that shirt. Okay. Can you <laughs> I wear a medium now. I'm no longer a big guy. Medium. I love and I, and I tell you what, I love your art as well. So fantastic. Thank you, I wear extra medium. I have a new set. All right. Thank you for tuning in to Thought Leadership in the Fintech Revolution. We hope you enjoyed our maiden trek down the Fintech wormhole. Uh, Gary Cardone, Tony Craddock, thank you very much for joining us and grappling about the really big issues. We'll be back in one month and maybe even before that. Now, go make money.